the XXXXXXX files. Exploring feminism and technology through space and time. My name is Liz. I'm a, a journalist based in New York. I write about music and culture and most, more recently the intersection of music and technology um, and streaming platforms and um, sort of trying to put streaming platforms in a greater cultural context, um, speaking with independent artists and independent record labels about the way that the sort of ecosystem of um, independent music has been affected by these new technologies. So I am uh, a big but recent fan of your work. Um, somebody, a friend of mine, sent me your articles about um, about Spotify and uh, their use of, of algorithms um, recently, and I just found them super fascinating. And I wonder... What, what, what it was that sparked your interest um, in Spotify and this kind of algorithmic uh, consumption of music? Yeah, so I've always been uh, interested in the sort of independent underground DIY music communities. And, you know, I've always, like, seen the independent and, like, self-made music world in its various forms as, you know, really a place where the most interesting music was being made and also sort of like a powerful way um, of people taking things into their own hands and sort of like, you know, rejecting the mainstream status quo of music, which is such an obvious sentiment, but I think that it's like something to keep in mind and when navigating these new platforms because there has always been sort of like this strong pushback or the strong alternative to what the mainstream way of consuming and gathering around music is. So I, I first became interested in Spotify because I was interested in the correlation between Spotify and the major record companies. Like I knew that major labels had invested money in Spotify and that there were some sort of partnerships going on, but I was really interested in learning about the major label influence on playlists. So that was kind of my entry point. I started researching that and I kind of thought that the, you know, the most interesting sort of thing to know about Spotify would be, you know, the way that major labels are um, influencing the platform in, um, influencing playlists. So I wrote this article. I started working on it in 2016 and it came out in 2017 called The Secret Lives of Playlists, which mostly was focused on um, researching um, these companies called Filter, Digster, and Topsify, which are the major labels playlisting brands that have playlists all over Spotify. Um, and I interviewed a lot of people for that article and learned about sort of like the direct relationship that the major labels have with Spotify and the challenges that independent 
artists and independent labels are up against. But it also, you know, I feel like that article really got me thinking about some other ways that um, streaming platforms are influencing and impacting music culture and just sort of the way that people relate with music now. And I realized that, you know, those Filter Dinkster and Topsify playlists were really just the tip of the iceberg or skimming the surface of um, like all there is to unpack about the, the way that these platforms are changing our relationship to music. And so you, through this, have uncovered and kind of articulated so many ways um, that Spotify's playlists seem to encourage this docile, disengaged, and kind of um, unchallenged listener. Can you maybe speak a little bit to your research process? Um, like, how much time did you spend listening to playlists, or um, who did you talk to? Yeah. So for the for for most of the articles, I feel like something that I'd like to prioritize is um, speaking with artists and speaking with people who run independent record labels because there are a lot of there's a lot of coverage of streaming platforms and there's a lot of thinking and writing about the the way that the music industry is changing. But it seems like the voice that's often left out is artists themselves and especially independent artists. So I, I feel like from my perspective, I'm way more interested in speaking with people about their actual experiences and speaking with artists about their actual experiences. So, you know, it's been pretty interesting. Like once I released the first of these articles, I, I kind of feel like I'm, I'm involved in a music community myself as um, someone who, you know, used to work at a venue and uh, plays music and book shows and, and goes to a lot of shows. So a lot of the initial sort of research process for me, I feel like it's just sort of talking to people and hearing people's perspectives on how these platforms are affecting them and then, you know, kind of following the threads of what seems interesting and then going and doing, you know, formal interviews with people who are willing to speak. It's kind of hard because at first I felt like a lot of people, um, you know, rightfully so, a lot of people who work at labels are hesitant to go on the record because it, and a lot of artists are as well because you don't want they don't want to risk their chances of not getting supported by these platforms in terms of the curated playlists and um, you know these platforms are a really big part of how artists of all sizes roll out their album campaigns and promote their singles and stuff like that. Yeah, but it's different for for every piece. For the the first few pieces that I wrote, it was you know a lot of like interviewing and then. Most recently, I wrote this piece called Discover Weekly that was about uh, sexism on Spotify and the way the major, the biggest playlists on the platform are male-dominated and kind of the way algorithms uphold uh, that gender bias. And for that piece, that was mostly just through first-hand research. I made a new Spotify account, and I only listened to the most popular playlists on Spotify for a month. And then I, I looked at the gender bias on those popular playlists I was listening to, and then I looked at the gender bias on the algorithmic suggestions every week, and I did that research uh, myself, and that was uh, an interesting experiment. No kidding. Did anything <laughs> really surprise you in, in doing this work? Discover Weekly article, you mean? Yes. Listening yeah, through I was actually really surprised in general the, one of the reasons why I started doing that research is because there is this conference called Pop Conference that happens every April in Seattle, and this year the theme is gender, and I knew I wanted to 
submit something having to do with Spotify and gender and was looking at the playlist and was actually like really shocked to see how staggeringly male dominated the most popular playlists on Spotify were, especially because in other areas or other areas of their, you know, curated playlist browse page, there are these playlists like Feminist Friday and Women of Pop and Women of Rock and all of these sort of like attempts at branding Spotify as this like woke feminist platform. So I was I was at first honestly really shocked to see how male dominated the the biggest playlists on the platform were. Like I listened to the playlists I looked at were today's top hits, which is the biggest pop playlist on the platform. And I looked at Rap Caviar, Rock This, Hot Country, Viva Latino, and New Music Friday, which are you know amongst the most followed playlists. They all have millions of followers. I think today's top hits has like 20 million followers, and the rest of them have between you know, three and 10 million followers from what I remember. The ones that were the most balanced in terms of gender bias were like 75% male artists. And then some of them were, you know, between 90 and 92% male artists. Um, So uh, yeah, I was pretty shocked. Wow. Like that. Yeah, that is so shocking. So you talk about this, the Smirnoff equalizer. So this is kind of this algorithm that's meant to look at your listening history and then suggest playlists so that you can somehow have a more equal gender balance in your um, your Mm -hmm. music consumption? Oh, yeah. So that was while I was doing the, the research on this or while I was in the process of writing this article, I was already working on the, the piece when this happened. It was surrounding International Women's Day. Spotify partnered with Smirnoff to create this sort of branded algorithmic, I think I called it a, a woke branded algorithmic partnership or something um, where, you know, you would log into it and it's presented by Smirnoff. Um, and you would log in with your Spotify info and they'd look at your listening history and they would, based on your percentage of women versus men artists, they would tell you like what percentage you were listening to of each and then give you an algorithmically created playlist that would balance the gender ratio or something. Um, and yeah, actually when I, lo- when I was listening to Spotify's top playlist, throughout that month and I logged in it actually told me that I was listening to 100% male artists which I thought was like uh, really funny oh my goodness okay so yeah despite the fact that the top Spotify playlists are mostly male dominated this algorithm is kind of, then it's kind of putting the onus back on the listener right like being like oh like your listening habits are actually unequal like here, we'll, we'll help you change this. So how does this... Totally, that's, yeah, it's a great point. Um, which is, yeah, which is like, okay, we can fix this with, a, with an algorithm, essentially. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas what you're arguing, arguing is kind of that the algorithms themselves are the way that the platform is designed. 
it upholds this kind of male-centric status quo. Mm-hmm. And because the, so like Spotify has curated playlists and they have algorithmic playlists and the, uh, the, the curated playlists are the ones that are most visible on the homepage when you, you know, log in. So if there's a new Spotify user that makes an account and maybe doesn't exactly know what to listen to, like the first things that they see that Spotify tells them to listen to are these like big curated playlists. And those are the ones that I found to be extremely male dominated. So if that's what you're listening to and then you are looking to the algorithmic suggestions for more recommendations. Um, it's just going to produce like more of the same, basically, like what you were already listening to. And if what you were already listening to is Spotify's sexist playlist, then you're going to get like more male-dominated recommendations. It's basically like this big echo chamber effect. Right. Yeah. But something that I talk about in the article that was like uh, really startling to me is that when they released the press release with the Smirnoff Equalizer earlier this year, like the, you know, the press release itself said, you know, at the end of 2017, Spotify's 10 most streamed tracks were all by men artists, like not a single woman artist on their top 10 most streamed tracks on Spotify in 2017. And at the end of 2017, there was an article on Billboard talking about how also, on the pop charts, you know, it was the first time since, I think, 1983 or 1984 um, that uh, the top 10 artists at the end of 2017 in Billboard were, like, there were no women artists. And I guess, like, the big question of the, one of the big questions that I was really trying to think about in the article is, like, Spotify reflecting um, the male-centric status quo or is, like, the um, way that the echo chamber affects um, Spotify that sort of services this least common denominator, like flattening of, of music, you know, pushing us back to like a more masculine and pop music culture, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, totally. Like, is this, is the problem a bias in the listener or is the problem a bias in the technology and the platform? And exactly, yeah. I mean, have you answered this question for yourself through doing this research at all, or? <laughs> um, I think I, I I think that you know, for me, like the piece is more about kind of like opening up the question and then showing um, like the research at hand, which is showing that um, you know if if the platform is pushing um, a male dominated, uh, of like male dominated playlist at every turn and like the algorithms are going to kind of like uphold that status quo and it is an interesting question because I'm like if this is already if we already live in like a music culture that is so male dominated does reproducing that bias through algorithms um make make it worse and I think the answer is yes but I guess some people would probably argue that it's just kind of like upholding what already exists but I I think that that in itself is part of the problem Um, so yeah, that's like one way of thinking thinking about it. Um, but it does, it is like a kind of an, again, ongoing question that I feel like I'd love to like hear more people's perspectives on. It's like, what exactly about this technology is inherently facilitating a male dominated music culture? Uh, and you know, when I presented this at a conference, someone in the audience asked that, I thought it was a really good question, but I think it's like one that to me, like, I, I haven't exactly come to, like, an answer about. 
Mm-hmm. No, yeah, I think it's so fascinating as we yeah. kind of use these algorithms more and more in our daily lives. It's like once you've identified a bias in an algorithm, like you can remove that. But with humans, it's like we can identify a bias, but if other people are kind of reluctant to acknowledge that we live in a male-centric culture, then it's hard to start to remove that bias, right? And then I wonder if there is kind of opportunity or possibility for um, algorithms in a kind of queer culture that operates but beyond these binaries like I am can't imagine that this Smirnoff equalizer is taking into account like potential gender variation or non-binary folks or if it's kind of just male female and the idea that algorithms are inherently kind of binary and obviously based in quantifiable data um, so I wonder if there's any opportunity um, to kind of use algorithms um, in a way that operates kind of beyond binaries or that would focus a little bit more on equity rather than just numeric equality. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that there's probably an argument to be made that, um, you know, if the uh, algorithm is serving a platform that inherently has the interests of, um, you know, uh, queer culture and non-binary artists in mind, that it could produce like recommendations for artists of all different types of identities. But uh, personally, like I think that if you're a person who's trying to advocate against reductive ways of thinking and trying to advocate um, against like reductive ways of thinking about identity and representation, like I don't think that like an algorithm is ever going to be a way to um, like facilitate that kind of discovery of like a non-binary culture. And I don't just mean in terms of like artists who identify as non-binary, but a world where we're not just kind of reducing people down to some like easily identifiable qualities that can be picked up by like algorithms, if that makes sense. Totally, right. Like the whole idea is just is based on being able to fit things into categories and reducing things. Exactly. Yeah. So maybe um, not a useful tool. (laughs) But I also think that there's probably people who have like arguments against that. And I would definitely like be interested in hearing them. Since reading your work, I've kind of become more aware of the ways that kind of, yeah, groups of humans can often make decisions based on these same kind of principles used by the algorithm. So continuing to just circulate what is already popular or relying on like the most easily or readily available um, information uh, in like in making decisions. So I wonder if your inquiry into algorithms has given you a bit of a different perspective on culture um, in general in the digital age. I definitely think so. I think that like something that has been really interesting about writing about this topic is that, you know, like um, the way that platform monopolies and um, 
algorithmic, algorithmic discovery tools, algorithmic news feeds or whatever, like, are impacting music culture, to me, is really just like a microcosm of the way that all different types of platforms are affecting our entire world and the way that people relate to each other and the way that it's affecting culture and expression and the way people come together, the way community is formed and stuff. So yeah, it's been really interesting kind of like looking at that through the lens of music. I, I hope that for music fans, thinking about the way that music is being affected by algorithms can be a lens into thinking about the way that the whole world is being affected by platforms and algorithms right now and to kind of like, you know, start to think critically about it and pick apart it apart or at least be interested in learning and like reading more and understanding these platforms that are increasingly shaping basically everything about our lives. Yeah. yeah. This is something that I observed in music is that um, there are a lot of people who have said, you know, oh, I always like kind of like felt like there was something like off or wrong about these platforms, but I didn't have like a vocabulary to like articulate it. And, you know, people who feel like now they're starting to have more of words to put to feelings that they had. And I think that's some, but a dynamic that like playing out across culture right now is people having these inherent feelings about the way that things like, you know, Facebook and Instagram are changing, make, affecting them, but maybe don't have the, the words to articulate um, what feels wrong or, or off. And I think we're like more and more like people are starting to like have those words, which is powerful. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's what kind of struck me about your work so much as I'm like, these things I think about, but I don't know how to articulate them in this way. <laughs> and I think also because we're implicated, right? Like as listeners, as people who, you know, use the internet and go on social media, like we are implicated in the problem. So it's kind of even harder to be able to analyze it in in any kind of meaningful way. Mm. Or it just seems seems even more consuming when you're kind of inside of it. Um, yeah, totally. And it's like part of your life. <laughs> and yeah, something that you like actually have to like reckon with. And, it, you know, there is like all of this sort of responsibility that is like unfairly put on the like individuals in where we fit into these ecosystems and stuff. And I think that obviously a lot of, um, you know, responsibility for the way that these platforms are shaping our lives should be put on the corporations that in advertising, you know, what's essentially advertising platforms that, you know, they like, they, you know, run these platforms. Um, but at the same time, I think people need to be conscious of like what feels like good in their lives and what doesn't. You know, even if something is like this, like really all-consuming aspect of culture, like if it's on a day-to-day -day basis making you feel bad about the way that you relate to something that's so important to you, such as music, then you can just stop using it. But I understand that it's also really challenging for independent artists who are trying to make a living and maybe that small check that you're getting like every few months from Spotify, like it's really important part of, uh, yeah, how you script together your living and you can't say no to it. Like, or you're someone who doesn't have the time and energy to be involved in a music community um, the way other people do and like having algorithmic recommendations are a part of 
how you find out about music and, you know, maybe you know that it's like doesn't seem as good as getting recommendations from humans, but you don't know like where else to turn at this point or something because the convenience of it has just conditioned you into this being how you find out about music. Like I know it's like everyone's situation is different. Yeah, I think it's just like important for people to be conscious of the way that platforms are uh, affecting their relationships with things that are important to them and just sort of like being critical of it and intentional about, um, you know, making decisions that feel good to them. Totally. You know, these platforms are very much about like prescribing like one way that everything should exist to like listeners and fans and artists and labels alike. Um, But it's important for people to remember that like they still have agency and choice in this world um, and that you can like look at the bigger picture of things and pick what feels good to you and what works for you. And if it's streaming services like aren't that like you can like reject them and not use them uh or you know maybe it's some combination of all of all of these different things or like experimenting with them so yeah like just being conscious and also like you know something about these platforms like music streaming platforms and platforms in general is that they try to just make everything as convenient as possible and i think like not sort of like feeding into that like, convenience culture for you like uh the process of finding it and accessing it and listening to it like doesn't need to be like the most convenient thing in the world <laughs> like new new platforms pop up and they're like maybe not as um seamless and convenient as some of these like more mainstream platforms keeping that that in mind that people making things on their own terms is like never going to be as convenient and easy as Spotify and Apple Music. Okay, so we're going to wrap things up. Um, where can our listeners find more of your work? Like you on Twitter or um, publications oh, yeah. that you often will write for? Yeah, um, so uh, a couple of my articles so far have been published by The Baffler. But probably the easiest way to keep up with them is, yeah, I'm on Twitter, at Liz Pelly, and I also have a, recently started a newsletter um, that's linked on my website. So, yeah, probably signing up for that newsletter would be the easiest way to, to keep up to date with all of these pieces. Awesome. I lo- still love newsletter culture. That's my favorite way. Okay. <laughs>